Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, hello, and welcome, or should I say welcome back, to the Indie Football Podcast. I am Ed Malian. It feels weird to be back in this uh, in this room. Well, welcome back to you. Well, right, well really. thank you. Well, thank you very much. And uh, that is the voice, the unmistakable voice of Jonathan Liu. Jonathan, hello. Hi. How was Sri Lanka? Uh, a delightful time. Um, a, a comprehensive series victory. Uh, I'm sure those who uh, are interested in the cricket have... Like, uh, it's kind of hard to watch from here, isn't it? Because when it starts at like 4.30am, you, re- you can only catch the end of the day's play. So it's not ideal viewing hours for English people but it's um a good series win and fundamentally just dominant cricket I thought uh, you know for a, a team that you don't expect to do well on the subcontinent because England just haven't for so long first win in Sri Lanka for 17 years mm. in the subcontinent for six I think and then first overseas yes. win in, in in three years so very impressive but if people are not here to listen uh, to us talking about cricket as much as you or I might enjoy that they are they're more here for the football um and this weekend you were at what was the biggest game in the premier league um well the I'd biggest say. game anywhere really oh well i suppose you could you could no, make a case a good, for atletico uh, in barcelona. yeah atletico barcelona in italy there were some some yeah. big games this weekend the, the biggest game in northern europe this, this miguel um was at a game which, which did not go ahead uh, he was in buenos aires for the second leg of the final twindle finals river plate against boca juniors and uh, very very serious business, yeah, and not at all funny. Uh, with that in mind, uh, he's currently somewhere over the Atlantic, um, probably worrying. Uh, he gets very anxious about flying, but uh, he is somewhere over the Atlantic. But he has recorded a podcast section with um, several friends of the podcast to discuss everything that's gone on in Argentina. So we're not going to really broach that too much, except for Johnny to comment on how he finds it funny that Miguel flew all that way to not see a football match. Um, so let's start off with Spurs Chelsea because eyes. I mean, we've been saying every week it feels like we've been saying that Maurizio Saudi's Chelsea are probably not quite as good as their record suggests. And then this was, you know, I think Jack actually said there's going to be one game where it probably all comes tumbling down, and you were there to witness that. Basically, yeah, the people have have been saying it's it's been coming, um, and inclu- including Sarri himself almost saying that look, the, our position in the league is sort of a slightly false position and and we are still nowhere near the likes of City and Liverpool and whether we're or not that was a self-fulfilling prophecy his players definitely seem to have taken that advice on board and uh, it was a a really a calamitous performance about as bad a performance as we've seen from a Chelsea side since what uh, what we now memory know as the Mourinho season it was that bad the the defense was all over the place we're allowed to call it that because Antonio Conte called it that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. it would be harsh. Yeah, yeah, it would be. Um, but it was, uh, it was shambolic. And Sarri, as afterwards, called it as he saw it. He said it was a disaster, and it, and it was from front to back. Jack Pitbrook's uh, report <laughs> said, you know, if they'd lost that game seven 0 it wouldn't have been an unfair result. Um, you wrote about Mr. Sissoko. Yeah, <laughs> you did. 
Um, and and I guess you know he he had become for a club that kind of has notoriously kind of spend threatened doesn't like forking out cash. They spent thirty million pounds on Mr. Soko. Yeah, and I think you could largely categorize that as a bit of a bust um, so far. However, a bit of a new role for him, and you know he was. I think you described him as a whirling vortex of chaos in this game. Yeah, but basically he he is uh, he was kind of a, a one man um, thunderstorm. Uh, it's interesting. He, he has been playing pretty well for the last half dozen games uh, in this new midfield role, which is partly born out of necessity because Dembele has been injured and and uh, describe this midfield role to us. Well, he. <laughs> He runs around a lot. He does. A, he does a lot of running. He's always done that, uh, which which he's always done. And he is kind of, I suppose you'd say, an old-fashioned tackler. Um, as with most sides, Tottenham's press starts from the front, and and if you get past that first line of press, you are often, quite often, on the run. And Sissoko is really, really good at chasing you down, uh, hunting you, as if you know you've. you've stolen his children and and just taking the ball off you from vastly improbable angles there was one um moment where he took the ball off Kovacic despite giving Kovacic about a 10 meter head start and it was a pretty dangerous chance and he just scythed in and, and took the ball off him he kind uh, of slid around him you know like he kind of he, he went to ground and then his legs kind of circled around Kovacic just kind of sweep the ball out right have you seen the um the the, the terrifying figure at the at the start at the, at the, the the opening credits of Spectre, yes, like with, with the, the giant squid type thing with yeah. with sort of eight eight ten legs. That's that's basically what happened to Kovacic there. He got sucked into the Spectre, and and so um, Sissoko comes in from what appears to be every single direction simultaneously, and the ball is is afterwards is, is absolutely nowhere to be seen. And Kovacic is, is looking distinctly baffled by the the whole shenanigans. This Sissoko, you know, for his entire career when he started at Toulouse, he was always a central midfielder, mm. an energetic central midfielder. And basically, I guess it became uh, not necessarily trendy, the right word, but teams wanted, especially good teams, they fill the centre of the park more with. Uh, controllers creators now um than just guys who run up and down they kind of went a bit out of fashion mm. and you had to stick those guys out wide or at fullback or you know just at other positions essentially and it, with the you know the, the increase we've seen over the last year and a half to two years in in pressing and counter pressing and particularly the focus on the focus on how to play with the press how to play against the press actually someone like Sissoko comes in immensely useful because he's an energetic midfielder so he can press, but also when you, if your press gets beaten, he's one of the first guys who can recover. Yeah, I wonder if that's that whole thing is coming full circle now. Where I mean, as as I wrote, the winger these days is not kind of an up and down player. That's your fullback, and the, the winger is the guy who needs to keep the ball very, very close to his feet and you know possibly cut inside, but use space very intelligently and you know play little reverse passes, that kind of thing. And that you know bless his little cotton socks, is not his strength. Um, and in the sort of game that, that Tottenham clearly were expecting at Chelsea, where they would be playing a lot of um, a lot of the game on the counter or themselves being countered, um, the midfield is often the most stretched part of the of the of the pitch. And so, I wonder whether we're we're going to move towards you know a, a new phase of of the, the tactical game where in your midfielder once again needs to be your most athletic player, covering the most amount of ground. You've also written about Deli Ali, 
um, who statistically not having a great season. And, and last year was a bit of a down year for him after his big explosion year. Mm. Um, but you think that beyond the numbers, there's actually a case that he's really come on quite a lot. Right. So uh, Deli Ali this season, he got a goal and an assist against Chelsea, which brings him to the grand total of two goals and one assist for the season. Um, and he's had a few injuries, but I think that's off nine games in all competitions. Um, and so his, his output has been slowly declining for the last two seasons. At the same time, as he sort of admitted afterwards, his game is now becoming a lot more complete, a lot more rounded. Uh, he said he's not really thinking about goals and assists uh, as exclusively as he used to. He's playing a lot deeper. Sorry, he's playing a bit deeper, um, but almost as as much of a defensive role as an attacking role, even though he's still quite far up the pitch. And the job he did on, on Jorginho was, was quite masterful at Wembley because, as we know, Jorginho is an exceptional player when he gets to run the game from deep. And what Tottenham did was push Dele Alli right on top of him um, and essentially forced him to do what he didn't want to do, which was to run into the corners and, and to play the game on, on, the, on the, kind of the half turn, on the hoof. And Jorginho was terrible. Yeah, and it was weird because he's had a, a pretty good start to life in the Premier League, mm. um, and lots of people were saying that kind of is a, you know, a, a, the example of the sort of you, oh, you, this is what you me- people mean when they say can he adapt to the physicality and the speed of the Premier League? I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think that Spurs just had a great game plan to deal with him. Yeah, uh, you know, and it, it, I guess there's a lot. You know, any team that's run by that one guy. You know, when when Barcelona were immensely successful under Guardiola, then the first teams to really cope well with them targeted Busquets because that was actually where everything came through in, in that team and uh, you know any team with Xabi Alonso you'd always if you can get to Xabi Alonso if you can stop the supply to him and if you can stop him having time on the ball then you're going to stop the way that that team plays and I think Chelsea under Jorge, uh, under Sarri but with Jorginho as that creative sort of fulcrum that probably is the way to play against them right I mean Let's bring in the the NFL analogy here because you, if if you've got your quarterback player, what do you need? You need people essentially protecting him. Mm-hmm. You need to make sure he can't be got at by the the big angry men with padding. So, it, when that system works, the likes of Kovacic and Kante and Barkley are, are almost kind of screening him. Um, for some for whatever reason, that that didn't happen. I think the, the game was was so much more broken than Chelsea would have wanted it, and it's still kind of it still kind of baffles me and I'm certainly not alone in thinking, what is Kante doing? What What is the best defensive midfielder probably in, in the world doing not in a defensive midfield position and a, and a guy who doesn't want to play defensive midfield playing just in front of the back four? Clearly, Sarri's got this this um, this um vision for how he wants Chelsea to play and, and, and that's how he, he wants them to set up. But if you can be got at that easily, how fit for purpose is that system? Yeah, I, I mean... I'd be interested, I, I haven't watched enough Serie A over the last year or so to know, but there must have been people that did this to his Napoli team and he must have found ways to adapt. And, mm. I, I, you know, I guess he wouldn't have got this far if there weren't. So it'd be interesting to see how that develops because, you know, now that in every big game where Man United or Arsenal or Liverpool or, or whoever are playing against Chelsea, that's going to be their first idea, yeah. I, I guess, is, is to try and recreate what Spurs the, did. The four and, or, the, or the five, I guess, you know, whatever you want to call that sort of player, uh, Jorginho now Pirlo I guess a few years ago they always had kind of tough tackling six and eight to yeah, yeah, yeah. to to you know to 
Basically, well, Pilar and Gattuso, yeah, that midfield with Pilar, Gattuso, Seydorf, you kind of had that balance yep. of everything. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, Marquisio at Juventus, Marquisio and, um, and, and Pogba so for, for, for part of it. Um, yeah, I, I, I wonder what, um, I wonder if there is a plan B there. Uh, Sarri doesn't really strike me as a sort of manager who's who's going to... Uh... Well, it's because he's a little bit of an ideologue. He's a fundamentalist, isn't he? You know, like he mm-hmm. believes in his form of football. So that feels like that's not that flexible. Um, it might just be about finding, you know, four specific games, a way to get around those problems. Um what Champions League game are you about this week? Uh, Spurs against Inter Milan on Wednesday. So that's quite big now for Spurs. Um, it's it's a, an important victory, which probably, would you say that secures them? We know that they're the third best team in the Premier League right now. Spurs? Yeah. Or, or do you not think that's secure? No, no. I mean, I think I think Chelsea will come back. I mean, I think that Chelsea are still extremely decent. Uh, but Spurs definitely do seem to be on an upswing and they have had, they've had their tough start and they've kind of weathered it. So I, I suppose, I, I think they'll be fine for the for the top four, possibly third. And, and Chelsea, presuming, you know, it, it was a bad game, very bad, very bad game from them. But they've got a lot of points in the bank already and you'd assume that they, they should get better under Sarri the longer that he's there. That's kind of the pattern we've seen before with him. So it's hard to see Manchester United sneaking into the top four, especially if they're going to play like they played against Crystal Palace on, on Saturday. The, the other, the, sorry, the other, the other point about uh, about Ch- Sarri's Chelsea, which I think Jack made this morning, is that uh, Sarri is a training ground manager, and they had a summer to he had a summer to work with them. He's got them, he had them pretty well drilled, but now the remedial work is is required. And they're playing Europa League every every other week. They've, they're playing Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday. And whether they're going to get that training ground time in order to to work on their on on the flaws in, the, in their system, that's that's going to be a real issue for them. It was around this time of year that, that when Conte uh, was in there, and, and they didn't have because they didn't have any European football whatsoever. He completely changed their system, didn't he? In fact, they went to mm. the three at the back, and then that essentially won them the title that that first year that Conte was there. Um, yeah, Man United drew nil with Crystal Palace, uh, as as dire a United attacking performance as you'd expect. Good point, good solid point for United. Yeah, well, really, yeah, uh, really strong, really strong point. I mean, like you know, people have had to go at Mourinho there. People, he's been getting brick bats all season, but like a, a solid home point against Crystal Palace, he's really you know, it's, it's shown his critics. I think. Yeah, I think Palace uh, eight without a win now. Um, so, so, have you seen Chesterfield? No, have tell me about Chesterfield. So Chesterfield uh, have drawn their last eight games. And so they are simultaneously on their worst winless run, I think, for, for, for a long, long time. And, and, best and, and their, be- their, their best undefeated run in about 12 years. Little little stat here. Very handy. And, and you know, big Saltergate people, uh, big Saltergate listeners, I'm sure. Uh, actually, they don't even play at Saltergate anymore. They've got a new stadium. But yeah, Chesterfield news. Um, that'll be coming every week, that section for you. <laughs> um, I don't know if you saw any other games. Uh, Arsenal dusted off Bournemouth. Um, great own goal in that. Jefferson Lerma's own goal. Oh, spectacular. Was, was as good as they come. Um, Huddersfield against Wolves was a, a little bit of a surprise. But the, the, the most interesting game, I think, in terms of repercussions that we might feel this week was Fulham beating Southampton uh, Claudio Ranieri's first game in charge and Mark Hughes is in is in all sorts uh, I think uh, I th- what do you think of Mark Hughes as a manager? Um, is I don't know is it possible to have an opinion on Mark Hughes as a manager? Mark Hughes is a 
when was the last good job he did? Uh, he did well at Blackburn. Uh, he did a good job at Blackburn. I think he did all right with Wales. Yeah, uh, well, yes, Wales, yes. But wasn't that, is that he, did, he did all right at Fulham. And I think he did all right for two seasons at least at Stoke. I mean, finishing in ninth place in consecutive seasons with that Stoke team is, in retrospect, not a bad achievement. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the time, you only really realise how well a manager has done until you see the guy next uh, after them have a go. Uh He's not a bad manager. And if he were a bad manager, he wouldn't keep getting Premier League jobs. I know, I know like, we are straying into the realms of sort of uh, you know, one of the, the oldest and most boring football debates in the world. But Premier League chairmen, and especially Southampton, have... They're not, they're not idiots, are they? Well, they, I mean, they're, they're clearly that unhappy with how the football club has been run that they've just sacked the guy who was most important in the direction of the football club. Let's read the director yes. of football. Yeah, I mean, clearly it's a club that's not going in the right direction. But you'd, you'd but, but one of his last big decisions, I mean, they, they, the last couple of managers they've hired have not worked out, essentially. They hired Puel, and he did fine, but they didn't like him. So he went, they hired Pellegrino, who they really wanted to do well, mm. but just you know, didn't do well enough in that one season. And then Hughes comes in. And Mark Hughes was hired to keep them up, and he kept them up. And I don't. He bristled. He was asked about the similarities of when he took over at QPR, mm. kept them up on the last day, uh, like he did with Southampton, and then the next season got sacked. Uh, and, and he bristled at that and said that no, this is a completely different job. Obviously, it's completely different circumstances. This squad is is a different beast completely. But Southampton have gone from being a very stable sort of upper mid table club to being in a fairly precarious position now and they've got to make the right decision basically on on the replacement for Les Reed. Do you have people making the full decisions at the club who you trust to make the right decisions? I don't I don't know. Um but I'm I'm watching Mark Hughes because I think if he goes, then who they hire next tells us a lot about what direction that club's heading in. Yeah, if they if they hire Bob Bradley, then I think they're in trouble. <laughs> well, it's even or if if they just hire some uh, like a guy who, who's well known to be linked to you know, for example, a certain powerful agent. It, it's <laughs> it's the the owners of that club saying, right, we're going to perhaps go down the Wolves model, or you know, there are certain clubs around Europe who have aligned themselves with agents, knowing that you are going to have to get in bed with the devil sometimes to do well and then I think personally that it always comes back and bites you I think there are plenty of examples of that the shame uh, about the, sh- the real shame about Southampton is that once you once you rip up that that long term model you you can't get it back very easily you are essentially trapped in a cycle of mm-hmm. hand to mouth and occasionally hand to foot foot to mouth uh, decisions where every react every, sorry, every decision is really kind of a reaction to the last bad decision and I think it would have been the enlightened thing to do for Southampton uh, to say to Mark Hughes, look, you've kept us up. Thank you. Uh, here is a little bit of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, now run along and let's get the, you know, let's let's get a manager who actually wants to bring players through from the academy, who actually, you know, has, a, has slightly new ideas on football, who actually, you know, thinks about the game in a way that isn't quite tired. And Mark Hughes is just, you know, He's a, he is a man without verbs. A man without verbs. But I, I, I guess he's never been described as that before. There's nothing. There's nothing to him. He's like he's like really he's like really inclement weather. <laughs> really inclement weather. This uh, week is Champions League week, so I do want to touch on that. 
as you said, you're going yeah, to be... Yeah, Tot- Tottenham into Milan. Tottenham uh, into Milan. That's quite big. Well, Tottenham, it's it's quite simple. Tottenham have to win or or they're out. Um, and I don't think they will. I don't think they Why will. Why don't you think they will? Um, you Were you at the reverse leg? Yeah. The one where they uh, ironically played really, really badly, then took the lead, then started playing really well, then conceded two goals. And, and that, which is... That's a, that's a real lesson in football and life there. That's that's occasionally how it goes. Um, they are on a, they're on a bit of an up curve, Tottenham. I wonder how much Saturday night will have taken out of them mentally. Um, and into you know they they've been doing all right. They they won at the weekend. They beat I think Frosinone, which uh, I'm convinced isn't a real place, but they beat Frosinone. Uh, they are. In and around, I think they're second or third, in and around the Serie A title race. Uh, Icardi got a good rest at the weekend. Um, and there, there seems to be a culture in, there seems to be a culture you know, in other countries of resting big players for league games and keeping them fresh for the Champions League. Um, so I think... Well, in some countries, they even move the fixtures to like a Friday night. So like Benfica would play on a Friday night before their Champions League week. So they've got an even better chance of getting a result yeah there's not even uh, an attempt to pretend that their domestic league is anywhere near as, as as important as the champions league which i you know it's a different way of doing it i i just don't ever see it happening in, not, in england I mean, not gonna happen. Mourinho has complained about it before i mean wenger complained about it and every manager i guess in that position has complained about not having enough time the other big games this week psg liverpool is now that's, that's now huge yeah. that's now a corker um in that group because of how well napoli have done and, you know, imagine if PSG went out at the group stage of the Champions League. Well, imagine if Liverpool went out at the Champions um, League group stages. But that's easier to... It's easier to envision almost because, you know, last I think everyone knows last year was an overachievement. Mm. Um, I think it would be very interesting for the Premier League title race if Liverpool went out the Champions League early. Yes, for I, sure. think so. I think so. It's that probably the best thing that can happen to them. But equally, they could win it. It's one of the most open... I know we say this a lot of years. I don't think PSG and Liverpool are that different in quality, no, no. personally. No, I mean, I would. Liverpool could go on a run and, and, and win it again. And I think that they certainly got a better chance than PSG, who, as we all know, will, if they qualify for the last 16 or the quarterfinals, will, will just go out. They'll draw around Madrid. In extremely yeah, yeah. comical fashion against the first good team they come up against. Uh, the other good game, so we've got Jack Bitbrook, who is. En France, uh, he's going to Lyon, Manchester City, and then he's getting the train up to Paris for PSG Liverpool. Uh, it's, a lovely, it's a lovely train ride. Have you done that, Lyon to? Yes, yes, yes. Did it during the Euros. Yeah, I mean, you go through the Massif Central. You know. Yeah, yeah, it's nice. Lyon, Lyon, by the way, is for for well, any one of the great gastronomic cities. That's amazing. It's, it is better than Paris for me. Yeah, love it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rue Mercier, the cobbled street oh, yeah. with all the restaurants on it. There's um I can't remember what you call it. Basically, like the, the the local cuisine, which is sausage hot pots and all that kind of thing. Really, well, really, like, and and about sixteen different kinds of mustard. It's it's a terrific place. The stadium is a bit far out. The new did uh, you go to the new stadium there? <laughs> I will tell you what happened. I went there for during the Euros. It was like a spaceship. Uh yeah, I went to the wrong state. I went to the Gerlons. You went to the Gerlons. Oh. I went to the Gerlons and had to uh very very quickly double back on myself and almost miss kickoff. Uh, I won't name who, but someone did that uh, with cricket stadiums in Sri Lanka. Oh, right. Um, Juventus-Valencia is quite big for Manchester United, who, who play young boys. You'd like to think United could um, could take care of young boys, 
But Juve Valencia, <laughs> don't laugh at that. Don't laugh at that. But Juve Valencia, um, it is big in that group as well. Bayern Munich Benfica is quite an interesting, quite an interesting clash of uh, two big clubs needing to do something. Atletico Madrid against Monaco, I'll be keeping an eye on as well. And then Thursday, you know, it's Europa, but that a lot of that is. I don't, I, what's happening in the Europa League? I have no idea what's happening. Are Arsenal through? Are Chelsea through? What's happening? Celtic, Rangers, Everton? Are Everton in it? Um, okay, I, you've not got. Have you done any Europa League this year? No, no. It's, it's one of my. It's one of my red lines. I don't. I don't do. I don't do Europa League. I don't do Carling Cup or whatever they're calling it now. Um, and I don't do FA Cup up to and including the final. Up to and including the final. Never done an FA Cup final. It's one of the one of the weird, you know, like also rugby union or rugby union. I have done rugby union in the past, but I've never done an FA Cup final. You know how Jack's never been to Old Trafford. Yes, and you are the only man with the power to send him there. Yeah, and and you know, I respect I respect his beliefs. I think it's important to re- respect people's strong beliefs. I, I think it's just a quirk of coincidence. Sure, surely, <laughs> surely the cycle's got to be broken at some point. He was, he was close to going last year. Um, Arsenal pretty much won their group. They have ten points from four games. Sporting a second. The other two teams in their group are Vorskla, Poltava and Karabag. Uh, the Chels, as I believe they're technically called, mm-hmm. have won four from four in their group with Palk, Salonika, Barty, Borisov and Vidi from right. Hungary. So, you, you know Vidi, the, the, the uh, Orban team. Uh, yeah, the, 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 the rapper. I don't get that joke. The team of Victor Orban. Eminem's protégé. Vidi, I, I, is that that might well be a rep- music reference that everyone else gets that I do not in the slightest. Um, Rangers can still go through, by the way, in their group. All right. Real, Spartak, Moscow, Rapid Vienna. That's all quite tight. Uh, there's, group F is interesting because Real Betis, AC Milan and Olympiacos are within a point of each other. And Dudelange are... They're Luxembourg. Yes, uh, yeah. they're, they're on zero points from four games with minus 10 goal difference. Well, so really... What was the point of any of this? What was the point of any of that? So they've played four games each. That's what seventy-two football games, mm-hmm. lasting six thousand eight hundred and forty minutes plus injury time. Yeah, good maps. And what have we learned from any of that? What good has any of that done anybody? Except you know, Dudelange, who there are, there are, a, there are a couple of richer clubs who, which is how you basically have to gauge these things in Europe as to expectations. Who might end up going out? Celtic are one of those. Uh, Bordeaux are one of those. Anderlecht are one of those. Also, remember, you know, knocked out of the Belgian Cup by Union saint gilloise of the second division earlier this season. But then, then so what? You know, like you, you, you get out of your Europa League group, Group L or Group Kappa or, or you know, Group Omega or whatever they're called, and then you make it to the last thirty-two. Plonk, Valencia, you're out. So for you, is is the Europa League sub Copa Libertadores? Yeah, very. Much. I, I don't. I, I don't even know the format of the Copa Libertadores, but I. I think the the Group Europa stage, League stage, then two legs, knock Ro- out all the way through. Yeah, uh, you know what? There's a kind of there's kind of romance. Final for the fast, for the final time. There's a romance to it, uh, uh, but the Europa League is just um, it's far too long. It needs to be straight knockout, if anything. And because uh, well, they're going to bring in a third competition, obviously, because the Europa League is not low enough. They're bringing in a, another tier of UEFA competitions. That's Seferin's new. That sounds new idea. absolutely delightful. Um, we should talk about the Libertadores very briefly, uh, if only as an introduction to the segment which everyone's about to listen to. That's come from Buenos Aires, which I believe should be Miguel Delaney, accompanied by New York Times' Rory Smith. 
uh, Wall Street Journal's Joshua Robinson and uh, freelance extraordinaire, but the man who literally wrote the book on Argentina, Jonathan Wilson. I, by the way, none of whom I, I, I would imagine have made the mistake that I've been making my entire life, which is pronouncing it Conanbol. Well, it's Conanbol. Yeah. It's Conanbol. I didn't, uh, didn't realise that. That's the level of knowledge that I'm working with here. But broadly speaking... Very broadly speaking. Very broadly speaking. Uh, so, like, on, on a specific level first, when the away team has their bus uh, attacked and players are injured to the point that it would be detrimental to their performance, mm-hmm. do you think that the away team should be handed victory? Um not in all circumstances. I mean, I think if they're in a, if the away team are in a fit state to play, then by all means get the game on and issue appropriate sanctions afterwards. Um, in this case, it looks like River, Bocca, Bocca were attacked. River were at home. Bocca were attacked. Yeah, it looked like they were in no fit state to play because yeah. you know people had had glass in their eyes and and they were they were all retching and and, and vomiting. And yeah. uh, Carlos Tevez was was retching even more than usual, <laughs> um, and so clearly the game couldn't go ahead in that circumstance. Generally, though, you you do want to get you do want to play the game if at all possible, as long as it can be done fairly and and you know. I think I think there's an argument that they. You know they they shouldn't play it now, and they because the whole thing they, everyone virtually involved has disgraced themselves to the extent that you know the, the kind of the competition. Well, the, the clubs haven't it? disgraced themselves, have they? They're, yeah, the political stuff behind the scenes has been right, has right. been pretty poor. Um, and was it definitely River fans? Yes, yes, not like Boca fans dressed up as River fans. No, no, it was it was very much River fans. Uh, I just think it's. Uh, you know, it is a shame because it would have been so great, and obviously that's why we sent Miguel out there because it should have been like one of the most memorable football matches you'd ever seen. And instead, uh, you, you get no game, and they can't even postpone it a couple of days. You know, we could have kept him out there until like Wednesday night if it was Wednesday night. But this week is the G20 summit in Buenos Aires, so all of the most important political leaders in the world mm. are going to be in Buenos Aires. So they need the police for that, not stupid football fans smashing windows. And all that sort of stuff. So it could be weeks until the game, um, which still doesn't have a date. Uh, but anyway, I, I'm sure you'll get more of this detail. Uh, how, on earth does, uh, how on earth does Argentina get in the G20, by the way? And Spain doesn't. It's the eighth largest country in the world by size. Right. Um, so why the... is Kazakhstan not in it? Or Mongolia? Or, or Sudan? Or Algeria? Because they're not as big regional or powers. Antarctica. Ar- Argentina is one of the most influential regional powers in, in Central and, and South Antarctica America. Antarctica should, should be in the G20. Well, Antarctica, they argue over who, you know, that's the whole point, isn't it? That's yeah. why they go to the G20 to argue about things like who owns that slice of the Arctic Circle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and like the, the Antarctic, and Antarctic delegation, which would be like one scientist and one penguin. But the, I guess the problem is no one comes from Antarctica either. It's always, there's like American scientists. There's, there's a jail. There. You know, there's a there's a prison in Antarctica. I did not know that. For, uh, so the, the uh, whatever the, yeah, the Antarctic research station... Um, and generally, it's uh, Russians who get sent loads, you know, get sent vodka, get, and there's nothing to do out there but get incredibly drunk. Mm-hmm. And there is like a, a very rudimentary uh, police force out there. Uh, and I think uh, 
prone to corruption, you'd say. If you, like you about say, five people, yeah, ten you people. Would say so. if, if you're the policeman and you just don't get on with one of the guys, it's like <laughs> you, just, you just put them in the slammer for a couple of nights. I, I demand to see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I demand it. Or take it up with the High Commission in Santiago, four thousand miles yeah, away. Yeah, yeah. We'll get um, we'll get something back by next Wednesday. Until then, you're in the slammer. Yeah. But um, anyway, so there you go. That's um, Antarctica, uh, G20, and a and lot more besides. And Chesterfield. What a pod. Um, and it's not even over. So keep listening for uh, the guys from Buenos Aires. But until next time, that is it from me and from Jonathan. Jonathan, thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. Uh, thank you for listening, as always. And uh, if you have the time, just rate, review, subscribe, and tell a friend. Uh, this has been the Indie Football Podcast. Thank you and goodbye. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, and welcome to the Indie Podcast uh, from a different venue and a different lineup this week. Uh, we're here in the Monumental in Buenos Aires, uh, 50 minutes before the second scheduled kickoff time for the second leg of the Copa Libertadores. Or is it the fourth or fifth? Hang on, one, two, three, four, six, six. Okay, yeah. Anyway, the, the point being, we're in an empty Monumental where the game is not taking place. I'm here with uh, Josh Robinson of the Wall Street Journal, uh, Jonathan Wilson of The Guardian and Sports Illustrated, and Rory Smith of The New York Times, oh, friends of The Independent. <laughs> um, yeah, we're kind of trying to just, I suppose, register what and how all of this happened. And ultimately, how Conmebol and Argentina, Argentinian football, made a mess of what was supposed to be their big, almost re-announcement game, you'd call it. I mean, something, something to finally match their, the brain drain, economic drain to Europe and the Champions League. Yeah, it felt like an almost unique occasion where, for once, for all that like Spurs, Chelsea, and Barcelona Atleti were big games, it felt like a like the eyes of the world were kind of on Buenos Aires, on South America, on River Boca, and they everyone involved has blown it. Essentially, yeah. the, the the ultimate blame I guess lies with the River fans who attacked the bus, which started the whole problem. But then there's the way it was policed. There was the fact they fired the tear gas, which then got into the bus. The, there's question marks in Argentina apparently about the relationship between the police and the Ministry of Justice. There's the endless delays and announcements and the, the kind of Machiavellian, Machiavellian machinations of, of the rescheduling. And then we all come back today um, and it doesn't happen again. And it doesn't happen again half an hour after River had opened the gates to the stadium and announced the game was on. It's insane. Yeah. Um, I mean, the whole thing is it's just a mess. <laughs> I've, I've flown 7,000 miles <laughs> to watch a game not happen twice. Yeah. Um, and yeah, from a journalistic point of view, we've we've probably got more out of it because nothing happened. Yeah, it's a good story, but it, it's it's a disaster for Argentinian football, and it's embarrassing for Comol. And I think what's actually mildly encouraging 
is Alejandro Dominguez, the, the president of Commonwealth. Mm. At least his statement today, I mean, it's, it's too late, obviously, but at least his statement today, uh, you, you, you could hear the kind of controlled rage in his voice. He was furious about what's happened, and he was saying that we have to look at ourselves. So th hopefully, this will mean Commonwealth do look at themselves and do look at how they can handle this kind of situation differently. But at the same time, you sort of think, well, this, this goes so much so further beyond yeah. Commonwealth. This is outside their control. They can't expect to control the police. They can't expect to control the Argentinian Ministry of Justice. They can't be expected to manage the, the societal issues that, that lead to, to, to the, 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 the relationship between Argentinian football and violence. I mean, there's been a terrible thing. The tragedy for Argentinian football is what happened yesterday barely registers in the scale of, of, of yeah. their trouble. There's been 93 people killed in Argentinian football-related violence in the last decade. There's been 328 killed since 1922. Those are ridiculous numbers. Mm. And that's something way beyond a, a bureaucrat sitting in an office in Asuncion to, to sort out. And, you know, when was the last time that the Copa Libertadores final sort of mattered on a global football yeah. scale? Yeah. Um, you know, it's the reason we're all here is mm -hmm. because this was unique and because it was Boca River and uh, we, we get to a point now where this is what they've shown the world through, as Rory said, the fault of all sorts of different parties. Um, now the game, when it happens, wherever it happens, we don't know. There's still no formal date for it, but it has to happen sometime before the Club World Cup in, in mid-December, presumably. Um, you know, now there's, we're at a point now where we're all going to go home. Yeah. No one really cares about the outcome of the game anymore, except maybe people here. Um, and what we take away from it is a game that didn't happen twice. Yeah. That Argentine football and South American football feels like it's in chaos. Yeah. Um, it's lived up to a lot of really unfortunate stereotypes. And we haven't seen any football. What's, what's really sad, because we've been here for, what, four days? Yeah. Feels like a lifetime. It's been a lovely holiday. The, um, <laughs> it does say that. <laughs> the, um, hasn't been a holiday. The, um, <laughs> 12 to 14-hour working days. That is true. That is true. <laughs> the, um, but we've, we've both spoken to people around Argentinian football and South American football. We've done, we've done work. Yeah. And you speak to, you go to, you go to Racing, you go to San Lorenzo, you go to these clubs, and you speak to people, and they... There are good people yeah. doing good work and they want to improve things and that, that's not true at every club and it's mm. not, not true of every person at every club but there are people working hard and they're in this context where now all of that basically goes out the window does the one that's the uh, Jonathan's right this isn't in terms of the scale of the attack on the Boca bus this is not a mm. serious incident for Argentina yeah, yeah. as stupid as that sounds that there, there, there have been more serious incidents this week in Argentina than this in terms of the actual nature of it but all the world will see yet again is kind of well South America doesn't help itself it's chaos it's mayhem you know everyone's incompetent mm. and that it's really sad they've been, they've been using the word shame a lot yeah, in Argentina yeah, yeah. they're really answer. ashamed yeah, yeah, yeah. of what's happened yeah. and it's incredibly sad and uh, yeah journalistically it's a great it, this horrible sort of parasitic mm. existence we have it's a great story. This is an incredible story to have covered. It has been a remarkable mm. kind of adrenaline pumping two days. Mm -hmm. But it's so it's sad. Nothing gets adrenaline blowing <laughs> like <laughs> sitting in an empty stadium watching nothing happen while nobody tells you anything. <laughs> and, and, and the Wi-Fi won't connect to your laptop. Um, no, it's just a you problem. Yeah. <laughs> and Jonathan had as well. Jonathan had as well. But um, I mean, although one of the so main... Just to pick up what you're saying yeah. about the tragedy. Um, you know, we spent time at Racing on, on Friday yeah. and we're talking about youth development and all the great things they're doing with that. Mm. But 
if you're okay, you're a 17 year old, 18 year old Argentinian kid who's good at football, yeah, and you're sort of like at the back of your mind, you're still thinking, well, I'm probably going to move to Europe sooner rather than later, but you think, no, you know, this is home, this is this is a comfortable environment, mm. this is a good place to learn the game. Um, maybe I'll stay here for two or three more years I'll go when I'm sort of 20, 21 a bit yeah. more mature you see something like this and they can't even put a game on they've got to put yeah. on the biggest game in the continent's history yeah. in terms of global audience yeah. they can't even get that right why am I going to stay here rather than going to mm-hmm. Shakhtar Donetsk to China yeah. to wherever and that's, that's the other problem Argentinian football has since, since 1926 when Libanati first moved to, to Italy Argentinian football has been an export culture mm. But it was controlled and they were going to big clubs in big European leagues. And now they're going to Mexico, to the US, to Japan, to mm. China, to Ukraine. It's, it's not even just Portugal, Spain, Italy. Yeah. It, is, it is leagues that Argentina historically yeah. has, have been much bigger than. It's quite nice actually as we're, <laughs> as we're recording. Uh, the, really the, um, there's two guys in white t-shirts. I think they're from Fox Sports, the broadcaster. And it turns out that after all this, two, you know, well, so f- four match days, because obviously the first leg was delayed as well, <laughs> uh, about 84 kickoff times, just uh, those two guys have got the Libertadores yeah. trophy and they've just disappeared with it down into the, into the stands. So. I'd like a, a photo up with it. Yes, we all would. Um, someone has to lift yeah. it, Mitch, and it yeah, should be yeah, you, yeah, well, thank given you, your 12 to 14 hour working days. But one of the things that struck, particularly about when we went to uh, Rassing, and Rassing are obviously, and we'd all do pieces of this over the next few weeks, given the time they gave us, but Rassing are trying to, they've taken, Diego Benito's come back with basically a European model, which is genuinely very distinctive and rare in the Argentine football. And it's like they finally applied thought to Argentine <laughs> football. Because this, but this is, this is a massive issue that it's probably the most emotional football culture I've ever seen. And, it's, and, and the sense you get is that they're so emotional about it. That when it comes to something like this, something staging it, to reflecting on results, they just can't keep it in. They can't contain any of it. There's no... Um, but ultimately, as you said yesterday... They care about football too much, and I even came across. On, 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 was it on Thursday night? We were on our way back from um, from another meeting. No, uh, from the Bucca training. Oh, from the Bucca training. Sorry, yeah, yeah, from the Bucca training. And a taxi driver said to us, "Sincerely, I would sell my soul to win on Saturday. I don't, I don't care." Again, well, you know, sell my soul to the devil. Yes, yeah, sell, sell my soul to the Not devil. To anyone. And I suppose that's. It. I mean, and we like we were there at Bucca on on Thursday. We took all those great images, lovely photos of what was, you know, a, kind of a gloriously chaotic scene. But yeah, but there, there, was, there was a flip side to that, though. Um, I mean, even right in front of us was that fan trying to climb over a, a 15-foot yeah. glass wall. To, to go get, into an even busier section it was, of the it stadium. It was mental. And, 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 and it, there was, there was a lot of, we, like, in that scene we were at, a lot of it was quite dangerous, actually. Yeah, when we tried to get out, we, were, we, we got... We, well, we basically took a wrong turn. And we, um, we, tr- we ended up going up, up to the top tier among the fans, which was a fantastic mm. experience. The atmosphere was amazing. But we eventually decided we should probably get to yeah. where the press area was meant to be, not, not least as my phone was out of battery. And the, um, we tried to get out and couldn't. Yeah. And the, the, this was for a training session. The stairwells were full. The corridors were full. There was very little kind of police people, in People trying to cram in as well. People trying to cram in. And when we, as soon as we, we kind of left, we, we, Miguel led the way and sort of went through. People poured into the space yeah, yeah. We'd, we'd left. And it, there was a point at which you thought, right, well, I'm, I'm going back down these stairs now. And... Mm. This is all. I, I, do you know? I felt quite guilty. I, 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 um, I put a video on Twitter that um, that got how many views, Miguel? I don't know. You, 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 the last update you gave me was like two point two million or something like that. Three point two. All oh, right. Million. Okay. Right, right. Uh, it's I good, went, good to know. I went viral. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and you do you you come as a European in, or a North American and you 
you take all these brilliant images of, of this colour and this noise and this, this passion that really appeals to you and that this is seductive and it's easy to kind of get to fetishise it and to romanticise yeah. it but there is there is such there's another side to it completely and that's the side we've seen in, in the last 48 hours which is the side that basically yeah, takes football too seriously where winning matters yeah, too yeah. much I mean, and it, that, that runs through all of Argentina's was, football culture it was a point that Diego Huerta at a wrestling made to us basically if, if, I mean it applies to everything even, even when it comes down to managers that you know they, clubs don't have to react to one or two bad results get rid of them and that runs through everything managers at youth level at a youth level at youth level yeah and in a sense, that's kind of what we came for as well. That's mm. what made this special. And the histrionics. The histrionics <laughs> and, and also the idea that we were hoping for, like, you know, maybe maybe subconsciously, sort of a very specific level yeah. of, of mayhem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, yeah. this went too far. We didn't get you know, a game. <laughs> exactly, we didn't get a game. But it's, it's that idea of, as Rory said, this, this sort of fetishized band of mayhem where yeah. it's, like, quite much higher than anything we get in Europe. Mm but without going into a space where we don't get a game. Um, and, but what we've kind of learned here is that these neuroses around loving football too much or, or to this level are, are incredibly layered and sort of run so deep. I was talking to a Boca fan who was, ta- who was telling me that, um, yes, he wanted Boca to come yeah. win at mm. Rivers Stadium, but that it might ruin football for him in the future. Yeah, yeah. Because this would be, the, the, as he put it, el máximo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but and that's, but the vibe very much, for a game of such massive excitement and hype and, and, and hope, I suppose, that what really and stood... Dread. Yeah, Yeah, but that's what... So what, what really stood out in the build-up was, basically, this, I think someone described to me as the most unwelcome Super Classic ever, because really what it came down to was the cost of failure oh, uh, weighed heavier than the potential benefit of victory. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think then you have to. I think you know, to say to say that Argentines love football too much. Uh, it's true, but you, you then have to. There's, a, there's an obvious supplementary question, which is why. You know, why have they got nothing else? Why have they got? Why, why here? Why? Why is it supplanted all other things by which people um, find meaning in their lives? And I think it's to do with kind of. I mean, partly to do with the horrendous economic situation that Argentina finds itself in. That a lot of people. Have very few aspirations. Well, and, and to, to, to cut across on that, one, one of the reasons we found that people were wanted the River to win over Boca was because of Boca's association with Macri. That became that became such a kind of a an underlying theme to the building. Yeah, for neutrals, really, that might be true. Yeah, it yeah. was really interesting though. I mean, that everyone we maybe, spoke to who support, supported another team other than River or Boca wanted River to win. Yeah, yeah. I mean Boca are a little bit insufferable with. Uh, uh, ubiquity yeah. um, but I, mean, I, th- I think that, you know, the Macri thing we probably should explain to people Macri uh, used to be the president of Boca a lot of his political support and, and support base came through, through Boca and yet Boca is the, the working class club historically and Macri is a, you know, a proto-Thatcher or quasi-Thatcherite um, who's imposed a massive austerity programme on Argentina you might argue necessarily I, you know, I, I, I it's not working and it's not working Yeah, inflation's running out out of control and, and people are just angry in general so it doesn't take very much yeah. for, for that to spill over in, in all of its forms whether that's sports or otherwise yeah but the, the, the other thing that's really important is that this isn't a new thing as, as Jonathan kind of highlighted so I th- there must be like a sociological and an economic well, explanation for it but it's not you, for, for all that Macri's policies aren't working it's not Macri's f- it's not only Macri's well, fault I, have, you know, I, I, I don't want to go on too much about my uh, book Angels of Dirty Faces <laughs> Angels of Dirty Faces um, but I think one of the... Very long, of, that book. Yeah, it is, but if you near the start, 
Um, okay, about, about 100 pages but, 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 in. You know, it was a long flight here, so we all had time to read it. Um, but I, I think one of the... Yeah, you, 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 you often get people talking about how uh, the, the way a national team plays is somehow representative of, of a sort of national character. And I, I think a lot of the time that's, that's pretty bogus or pretty contrived. I think with Argentina, maybe not so much now, but certainly go back in the 1920s, that relationship was very, very direct. But, I mean, that um, Argentina was a was a new country, a country which had nothing to bind it. You had you know, when the first war began, there were uh, a million Spaniards, eight hundred thousand Italians, four hundred thousand Northern European Jews, four hundred thousand Arabs, forty thousand Brits and Irish, thirty thousand Germans, thirty thousand French here. These were people with nothing in common, and the thing that bound them was they all supported the same football team. So I think football here has always given people an identity in a much more powerful and much more... Um, yeah. It's, it's a fa- on a foundational level, in a way you don't find elsewhere, where religion or job or uh, region would give you that identity. But, I mean, that's one of the interesting things about it. I mean, having written the book on it, when, I suppose, when did it, this... Uh, when did it first become, anyway, noticeable or tangible, this extra level of... Histrionics, but I mean, even like just was cut across for a second. Argentina's match against Nigeria in the World Cup. I wasn't at that. I think you three guys were. I was. But I've, ne- I've never experienced, even from TV, no, I wasn't a, Nigeria. a match of such, you know, unbearable tension for any international team. But the, 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 the answer where it starts. I mean, the, the first, the first football-related death, um, uh, Salvemos Myself Football, which is this sort of lobbying group mm. to to uh, try and improve football, and make it safer. They they dated in 1922 when a, a child was killed at a game between Sporting Baracas, which mm. is a team I don't think exists anymore, certainly not in the top two divisions. They played a Basque touring team, and a kid fell off a, um, like a horse-drawn cart mm. and was killed. Others were dated in 1926, uh, when um, Argentina played Uruguay, and a Uruguayan fan was shot yeah. um, in Montevideo by an Argentinian fan. And the story then goes that the Argentinian team helped smuggle him out of Montevideo on, on their boat. Right. Um, now, Proving the truth of that, this remove is very difficult, but it is certainly true that a Uruguayan fan was killed in the aftermath of an Argentinian yeah. football defeat. Uh, so this is this has been there very very early. Uh, in terms of Abbas Bravas, the the hooligans, I think that's a thing probably from the late 60s, 70s, and it began with away fans travelling with teams almost as protection, like to, because. Uh, home fans would attack <coughs> the team so they then started taking thugs with them essentially to protect them and that initially was if not healthy at least kind of not as malign as it is now yeah. and increasingly that got a hooligan element attached to it and you then get the, the incredibly difficult and complicated relationship uh, of the Bavis Bravis with organised crime so a lot of the violence we've seen recently in Argentinian football I don't think it's related to what happened uh, yesterday but a lot of the violence you've seen recently in Argentinian football is actually intra-Barra rivalry between the same club. That the, the, the Barra's the organised crime, uh, they moved out of the clubs because the clubs weren't profitable, there was no money to be had. And then when you had the Football Paratados programme brought in by, programme brought in by Christina Kirchner, which suddenly increased the television revenues they got by, uh, I think, fivefold. Suddenly there was money, and so the old Barra moved back in mm. to try and, try and get back of that cash, and they find that a new Barra has grown up. And so they were clashing. So. They, they had, a, I think about 10 years ago, they, they, uh, they put in stadiums this thing they call lungs. So basically, segregation with big gaps between home fans and away fans. And it turned out it made no difference at all because what was happening was home fans were fighting home fans. Yeah, yeah. Um, so away fans have been banned since 2013. Um, that ban was lifted partially in August, although not for games involving the big five clubs. Mm. 
Um, it, it, it's a massive problem, and I think the fact that it's not just one club fighting another club, but different factions of one club fighting each other, suggests to what extent this is not really football's problem. This is a societal problem that yeah. essentially football is. There's stuff football can do, but it's so much bigger than football. Well, it's it, football is is the vent, isn't it? That's what is actually yeah, Fernandez Moore. Yeah, it's a stage in which he's played. Is yeah. is, is it, if, we're not being too crude about it. It is essentially a country with less in it to, to vent. They're not, they're not, I mean, basically, football is dominates so much. Well, no, but then, so I, I spoke to an Argentinian, a well-respected Argentinian journalist. I don't know if he, he would want to be quoted. I'm not going to name him, but um, he, who said that if you if you look across the world, in a lot of countries, mm. there is a there, there there is a way in which that country releases its violence. Yeah, and so the, the, the best example is in the states, where you get a quite staggering amount of gun crime. Yeah, yeah. Compared to to every other country, you know, the number of deaths in the states from gun crime every year outstrips all of those suffered in Europe or something mm. in the last 30 and he said well look f- football in Argentina serves that function this is where this society releases its violence now that's not to, p- to condone it or mm. to say that it's okay or we should let it you know we should let them get on with it but it, it, it perhaps is, is to, I don't know as a reminder that Argentina isn't a uniquely violent society yeah. That these things, these problems exist elsewhere. It's just that they manifest in different ways in different countries. Yeah. And it just so happens that here, and not not only here, in, in a lot of Eastern Europers, I'm sure one of us has written a book on Eastern Europe. <laughs> probably, probably his best book. Yeah, and most human book. I'd most say. human book. Yeah. Yeah. It's called Behind the Curtain. Yeah. Um, it is no longer available. <laughs> it's definitely available. It has not sold out. <laughs> but the yeah, the, the, it just happens that football has become a vehicle kind of worldwide for that. But I think what's really interesting, what lends Argentina a unique context. Mm is what we were talking about before, that sense that winning is all that matters, which means that there is, it's it's maybe not worse here, it's maybe not more prevalent here, but it just seems much more kind of endemic and also kind of accepted here that this is the way life is and no one is going to do anything about it. And to circle back to to what Miguel brought up about the national team is that it creates this feedback. I mean, the the players and especially the managers wear the weight of that, uh, of whole culture on their sleeve. I've never seen a manager more miserable than Sampali in Russia yeah, this yeah, summer. Yeah. I mean, he would come out after after an adverse result and wear it on his face, mm. look like, you know, his dog had died. Yeah. Um, he, he transformed into a joke, Shatter, like quite yeah, a previously respect. You could see the kind of really sort of sickly sweats he got on yeah. that Nigeria yeah. game. He came out after half time and he looked like a man about to have a heart attack. Yeah. He, mm. um, but you, so, so speaking of managers, but one, one person I think who has come out of the, the last... 24, 48 hours with credit is Marcelo Gajardo, mm-hmm. the uh, river manager, who, from what we can tell, I mean, who knows what he's saying behind closed doors, but from what we can tell, he appears to have been entirely amenable to whatever Boca wanted, saying, yeah. look, this has got to be done right. We don't want to play, you don't want to play. Mm. And I think he deserves immense credit yeah, for yeah. that. Just to note on Gallardo, though, he didn't deserve credit in the semi-finals <laughs> when he was accused of spying yeah. on Gremio. Or, or, or indeed in the semi-final between Boca and River in 2004 when he was sent off in the first leg for strangling the Boca goalkeeper. Yeah. But, but he's had a great weekend. Yeah. <laughs> but this is the other thing. So this is not the first bit of ridiculousness yeah, yeah. for the Libertadores this year. Yeah, so there yeah. was the semi-final that really well, should have been thrown out of. So that's a point I wanted to raise, basically. I mean, in terms of... I mean, first of all, there was an argument that... Um, River shouldn't even have been here at all. But in terms of what now they are here, how do we feel about this? What's going to happen next? What should have happened? I mean, I think I'm of the view, even though I really wanted to see a game, it's quite a weird feeling now that I'm actually not too bothered I'm not going to see a game because of everything that's happened. It's quite, and it's quite strange given the excitement they came with. But I, I actually think River should have been thrown out of the competition for the second time 
and Bucca should have been an award of the trophy. How do we feel about what's going to happen? I now? think for the third time, let's not forget yeah. that he fielded um, Zuccolini in the yeah. last 16. He was still suspended from a game, I think, five years ago before he came mm -hmm. back here. And the only reason they weren't banned was because Racing, although they were saying they were clubbing two things in the right way, they forgot to put in their appeal within the 24-hour <laughs> window. So if were banged to rights then got away with it, they were banged to rights in the semi-final and got away with it. I, I mean... Yeah, can they can they get away with the third time? It's interesting, right? actually. We um, we also spoke to Alejandro Dominguez, the president mm. of Conmebol. Yeah, um, that was on Friday. On Friday, it? who was talking Four. about um, how he doesn't believe in coincidences. Head <laughs> <laughs> of the Boca River, <laughs> <laughs> given the River have basically been been let off scot free twice. Yeah, that is an interesting turn of phrase. But look, the morally, the right thing for everyone to do is for River to to be forced to forfeit the game and yeah. Bocca to be given the yeah. trophy. That's not, that isn't what, what will happen, I'm pretty sure, yeah. but that is morally the right thing to yeah. do because the fans have to learn, not just River, yeah, yeah. it's not just them, they have to learn there are consequences, that if you do that stuff, and you shouldn't do that yeah, stuff, yeah. you shouldn't throw stuff at buses. This is something we, we learned in Liverpool in April, March, March, yeah. April. Don't April. throw stuff at buses, it's and really since easy. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't remember the last time I threw stuff at something at a bus. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there was the potential for, they mentioned the scene yesterday of um, Perez with a bandage in his eye picking up the trophy after no game had taken place in front of livid river. <laughs> I mean, it was imaginable but not advisable. <laughs> Perez, who clearly had glass in his eye, but then, uh, the Comrade doctor had decided. I see no medical reason why the game shouldn't go ahead. Actually, I'm not sure he did have glass in his eye. If you read what his ophthalmologist said, it, he implied it was damage caused by the gas rather than by glass. Okay. So he had he had a significant eye problem. I think, but I think yeah. it was gas related, not glass related. He had conjunctivitis, didn't he? <laughs> he said he had, yeah, and and corn, corneal ruptures or something. Yeah. yeah. It did. It sounded bad. But anyway. look, the, the yeah the. There's no question that, that rivers should be thrown out. Yeah. That, should, that is how this should work. And it's Bocca, I think, have pointed out to Commerbol that um, that's what happened in 2015 when there was pepper spray released by Bocca fans onto mm. the river players. The difference in this case is that the, the damage took place outside the stadium, so I think River probably have a case to say, look, we can't control everyone the whole time. Well, and, that, and also, that, is, that is legitimate. Also, the gas wasn't... Well, we don't know. Well, we, don't, we don't know yeah. who released the gas, if it was the police then the crime is the breaking of the bus window. Yeah, right. And like, let's be honest, if you if you kick out every team who breaks a bus window in the Libertadores, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you're gonna have like three teams Yeah, left, but equally, so. if you, it's the old kind of get, get a yellow card in early from the referee to lay down the law, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Equally, if you, in the final of the Libertadores, the biggest game in South American history, if you say the punishment for for attacking the bus yeah. is that we'll play but, it at a later date and you might still yeah. win but, then you're condoning it but, but this, but, 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 but this yeah. is the thing that all the talk was, has been of South America and Argentine football putting on their big exhibition but maybe this should have been actually the opportunity now to set an example yeah, yeah. It, no, it should, this, this, this I think should be in a competent organisation mm. and it's a test of Tomobol's competence should, should be a watershed. They mm. should say this is this will not happen. The other thing Dominda said to us is that he will not tolerate any more violence. Yeah, yeah. Here's your chance. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and now Conrad is going to meet on Tuesday in Paraguay at, mm. at their headquarters and discuss when to to set this game. But you would think that there's going to be some talk of discipline as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's got to be some kind of sanction. Exactly. Whatever and, that is, but I mean, there has to be some kind of sanction. And and. They decided that they were going to have this game today. By the way, with all the fans, mm. they, there wasn't even talk yeah, of, yeah, yeah, of yeah. playing it behind closed doors. Yeah. So they but were like, just going to postpone it by twenty-four it, hours it, it, and do it all over it, again. It, it, it's just like the glamour of the occasion, and we, um, the fact that we're here is pretty testament to that as well. That we also got it happened to us, but it seduced everyone to, uh, to the point where kind of a lot of logic was clouded. We have to get this game has to take place. Yeah. Right, mm. and and it didn't help matters. I'm sure that mm. you know. Uh, 
Dominguez had Infantino, the FIFA president, looking over his yeah, shoulder, yeah, yeah. saying allegedly, I mean, according to sort of the Argentine press, and Gago and Tevez, yeah, that this game has to go ahead, mm. um, even though FIFA technically has no jurisdiction mm. over Commonwealth. Well, it's, and it's not, it's nothing to do with FIFA. Yeah. it doesn't make it, for all that it's really easy to use FIFA as a, as a whipping boy for everything, and often justified. If the game doesn't go ahead, it's not it's not FIFA's fault. No. Yeah. It's not it's not it doesn't reflect badly on them. This isn't a FIFA competition, mm. this is a, a trauma ball competition. It's their problem. But as Josh says, yeah, it's not great that every time every time Dominguez was presented with the president of River or the president mm. of Boca mm. or the players or the medical staff, he'd have been looking over his shoulder and this sort of very shiny Swiss man would have been like, hmm, Alejandro. What are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is a tricky one, isn't yeah. it? But he didn't describe it as his great friend on Force and Friday. <laughs> he did, yeah. What he should have done was get a, get a ball with loads of plastic balls inside. <laughs> Go on, have a play with that. <laughs> <laughs> right, um, as we leave, a very oddly serene Monumental. Very peaceful uh, now. Yeah, well, 1978 World Cup final place, of course. You can read, that about, read, that, read about that in Jonathan's book. Yeah, that goal over there is where Fijol made yeah. the famous save. That goal over there is where Kemper scored. Very he's just pointed at both goals. Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 he's done that on an audio medium because he doesn't actually know which one's which. <laughs> no, I know yeah. that one because that's the one near, nearest where the river He's pointing is, to the, the, the left one, which, which will make no sense to you. Um, <laughs> the temptation is to get a ball and kick that into that net, isn't it? There's yeah. been there's been quite a lot. The, it, it would be t- the only ball kicked at the moment. Yeah, 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 yeah. Quite a lot of the TV crew have been clearing up have um, have taken the chance to like kiss the turf. So it's yeah. obviously a, a place of great religion, and also the TV crew clearly is biased. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and on that, uh, yeah. Thank thank you for joining us. Uh, well, will we see you at the second leg, man. <laughs> <laughs> third leg. And the third leg. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Good luck. Oh, buenas noches. <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.